You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to episode 40 of the Tell It As It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, Griffin Youngs, and as always, this show is sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. The hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next, and excitement and anticipation continues to grow. And this weekend will be no different as two of the sport's most respected fighters step into the ring this Saturday night. There's no better place to get in on all of the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And for this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users a shot at turning $1 into $55. To celebrate this weekend's huge main event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity for 55 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. Again, that is 55 to 1 odds on either side to win the fight this weekend. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook has all odds on basketball, hockey, with the playoffs right around the corner, and DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to go to get you even more invested. They are safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to let them know we sent you. For a limited time, all users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So let's jump right into it here. The Avalanche come back fully healthy for the first time seemingly all season. They get Rantanen back, they get Grubauer back, they get Donskoy back, and they can finally put that three-game losing streak behind them as they knock off the San Jose Sharks on back-to-back nights with two dominant performances, though one looked more dominant than the other. Really wasn't that big of a difference between the two games. The Avalanche finally looked like the avalanche again, which is something that we really haven't been able to see as of late due to the whole COVID outbreak on the team. Obviously, Grubauer going down forced Dubnik in net. Obviously, we saw some nights were better than others with that, and you could see just how badly this team needs Miko Rantanen. Just the, we all know he's important. We've all known that ever since he developed into the superstar he is now. But it's when he's not here that you you see just, it's noticeable. It's You can't ignore it. It's not a hole that can be filled. Burakovsky played admirably in his spot, but there just is no replacing Miko Rantanen on this team. And the difference with him not being in the lineup with those games against the Blues and against Vegas, and just these two games against the Sharks, there's no, there's really no comparison. He makes all of the difference. He's not the second leading goal scorer in the league on accident. And that's crazy too. He's back for two games and now he's only one behind Connor McDavid for second in NHL scoring. And McDavid, I believe like recently had a hat trick and I don't even think, I don't think McDavid's even missed a game all year. Yeah, McDavid has four goals in his last four games. Rantanen has two goals right away, right off the bat, and now he's third in the league, alone in third for the league, ahead of Toffoli, Marchand. It's a big, it's a big, big difference. Crazy how adding elite players to the lineup just makes the team look a lot better. I was really hoping we'd have them back against Vegas and I think you put them in against Vegas. I think we're looking at a much different standings right now in the West Division. I think it's 72-72 apiece. 
and things are just generally a lot closer other than Vegas being up four points. But we did get a little bit of a blessing from the Arizona Coyotes, no less, as they ended the Golden Knights' 10-game winning streak with a 1-0 victory over the Golden Knights, which pretty much allows the Avalanche, ironically enough, to control their own destiny here. They don't have to rely on Vegas for anything here, because while it would be nice for Vegas to lose some of their games, if both teams win out, it comes down to the final game between the Golden Knights and the Avalanche to determine who's going to win the West. Because the Avalanche still have that game in hand. So let's just say they win that game in hand. All of a sudden, they're two points behind Vegas. That's it, just two points at an equal games played. And then they win that game against Vegas. All of a sudden, now it's 74-74. And the Avalanche would have that head-to-head advantage over Vegas because of the overtime loss two games ago. The last game that was in Colorado. Plus, they have more regulation wins, more... Actually, no, well, they... Colorado, I just got that totally mixed up. Colorado does have more regulation wins, 30 over 28, but Vegas has more regulation overtime wins. I don't know why. Why do they bother counting regulation overtime wins? That's such a waste of time. Just make it regulation wins. We don't need regulation overtime wins. Just It shows how pointless the shootout is to tie it back to my hate into shootouts that they consider shootout wins to be less important. Just get rid of the damn thing and just make regulation wins matter more in the standings to begin with than making them a tiebreaker. But getting back To my point, if the Avalanche, basically, if they win every game from here to the end of the season, regardless of what Vegas does outside of their matchup, the Avalanche will win the West Division still. Now, I do think Vegas is going to... I don't think Vegas is going to win out the rest of the way. The remaining six games, five of them are against the the playoff teams in the West. The only one that isn't is against the Sharks. And... They have one left against us, two left against Minnesota, and two left against St. Louis. Now, both those games against the Wild for Vegas are in Minnesota. And if I remember correctly, Vegas has only won one game in their history in Minnesota. So let's just be reasonable and say that they get a split there. Well, that just works even better in the Avalanche's favor. I am going through this assumption, by the way, just assuming that the Avalanche are winning the rest of their games against the Sharks and the Kings, because they should, and to lose even one of these games, I would be immensely disappointed. But who knows, anything can happen. I I think if they lose one of those games, I think they can recover enough to still win the West, but to lose two of them, I think would be a death sentence. But getting back to Vegas, I think they split against Minnesota, and I think they would split against St. Louis as well, considering just how well St. Louis has played as of late. So realistically, I think Vegas still has two more losses on their schedule, because mainly when you just have a big winning streak snapped, doesn't matter what sport, doesn't matter what team, you're due for like an adrenaline drop-off or just like a regression to the mean at some point. And Let's be honest, that game against the Avalanche was the only game they've played against a playoff team during that 10-game winning streak, and like we talked about, Avalanche didn't have Rantanen, Grubauer, yada, 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 the list goes on and on about the guys they didn't have for that game, and now, hopefully they'll play a healthy Avalanche team, and now they have four games against the Wild and the Blues, who one of them's going to be their first-round opponent, I think not including the Avalanche game, because that's basically a whole nother league. Vegas has two other losses. And the Avalanche, two games against the Sharks. We'll talk about their two wins against the Sharks in just a second. And four games left against the LA Kings. And obviously the one game against Vegas. They're not in as bad of a spot as I originally thought they would be after they lost to Vegas. There's still definitely more than an outside chance that they can pull this off and still 
win this division. It's still an inside track for Vegas, and Colorado has ground to make up. I mean, if Vegas has the advantage, there is no doubt. They're up four points, and they have the points percentage advantage, and if they win the game against Colorado, you can throw all of this conversation away because they will just win the division. But if Colorado can win that final game against Vegas, then it's going to start to get very interesting. And then it's basically at that point, Colorado's division to lose. You also have to start to wonder about just how important winning the West really is in the grand scheme of things. In terms of the first round, I don't think it's honestly that important. I don't really see this ocean of difference between the Wild and the Blues, ultimately, when it comes to who you want to play in the first round. I think there's a very fair argument to be made for either of them as to who would be a better opponent for the Avalanche. There's been times that we have absolutely washed Minnesota this season. There have been times Minnesota has given us a very strong run for our money. There's been times that St. Louis has made us look very, very bad. And all but one game against St. Louis this season was very close. You could argue that St. Louis is now getting hot at, at the right time. They're 6-3-1 in their last 10. They just lost in overtime to Minnesota. And I believe that if you include the last two games against the Avalanche, they're 4-0-1 in their last five games. So you could argue they're getting hot at the right time with a Stanley Cup winning team that did it just two years ago. So I don't really see much of a preference either way. You give me Minnesota, you give me St. Louis in the first round, I don't really care. But the advantage is going to come in the second round, assuming Vegas and Colorado meet. The advantage is going to be with home ice. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because looking at this stretch of schedule for the Avalanche, you have seven games left to go. Six of them are going to be a slog. Two more games against the Sharks in San Jose, and you've got two back-to-backs against the Kings, first one on the road, the final two to end the season on home ice, and sandwiched right in the middle of that is the game against Vegas. That game against Vegas is essentially the regular season finale. That It's the last big game before the playoffs that's basically going to determine who gets home ice in the second round, and who ultimately wins the West Division. And you have to decide, based on the outcome of that game, just how important winning those final two games against L.A. are. Like, let's let's say Vegas wins that game. It pretty much wraps up the division. There's really nothing we can do at that point. At that point, you might as well let some of your guys rest and just get ready for the postseason. Bring up the entire Colorado Eagles for all I care at that point. If you win the division, I'm sorry, if you win the the final game against Vegas for the inside track in the division, I don't know. Because going back to the earlier conversation, you win the game in hand, you win the game against Vegas, now you're tied at 74. Or at least just whatever the point total would be at that point. You're tied at that point, equal games played. And if you rest your players in the final two games of the season against the Kings, you risk losing that advantage anyway. Just looking at Vegas's schedule real quick, after their game against the Avalanche on the 10th, they play the Sharks for the final time on the road on the 12th. So they have one game left, and the Avalanche would have two games left. So the Avalanche... If they win the game against Vegas, they have another game that'll basically be their game in hand to close the distance still. So if they lose that final game against Vegas, there's really no point in playing anybody in those final two games against the Kings. And it depends, if you win, it depends on just how far ahead you are and the result of the Vegas Sharks game after that. Because with how cursed the Avalanche have been with the injury bug this season, which is something we'll talk about in a second when we talk about the two games against the Sharks, is it worth risking more injuries just so you can have home ice in the second round? Because what's more important? Is it more important to play in your building for a potential Game 7, 
or is it more important to ensure that you have everybody you need for that game seven? Because the Avalanche are not out of the woods yet with injuries. They've gotten better because people came off the COVID list, but they are not, the injured reserve is not clear at all yet. They still have issues that need to be worked out and issues that have now been added to as well, which we will talk about. But it's, this is basically, we're just going to be waiting until May 10th at this point for the final game against the Golden Knights. We have four games this week, finishing up with the Sharks and two back-to-back games against the Kings. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after this. You have to win all four of those games to really give yourself a shot and hope Vegas doesn't just beat up on Minnesota while they're there and hope that that streak of them not being able to win in Minnesota continues. I mean, this is going to be a rough week for Vegas. We're really going to see what this team really is. They're playing Minnesota twice and then a back-to-back against the Blues. So they'll come into that matchup against the Avalanche, and we'll have a pretty solid idea of what they're going to be at that point. For the Avalanche, like I said, kind of a slog. Two games against the Sharks, two games against the Kings. No excuse to really lose any of those games. And if the first two games against the Sharks are any indication, yeah, they should be winning these games pretty handily at this point. The Avalanche take their two games against the Sharks on home ice on back-to-back nights with final scores being in the first one, 3 to nothing. Philip Grubauer gets the shutout in his first game in over two weeks, almost two and a half weeks at that point. Great to see him back in the second one. The Avalanche win it 4-3 to three in a game that got a little close towards the end just because randomness and also maybe a little bit of the Devin Dubnik factor, but they do get the two points, which is what matters, and they still look very damn good doing so. So looking at the first game, the big storyline right away coming into it is that the Avalanche are getting their firepower back there, getting Philip Grubauer back there, getting Miko Rantanen back, Jonas Donskoy is coming back, and you could just see from the puck drop that this is a completely different team with these three guys on the ice. It's, it's a little generous to put Donskoy in that category, but you could you could see that they appreciate him being healthy. It definitely still affects the team. But Grubauer and Rantanen being back takes this team to a whole other level. Grubauer alone just completely changes the demeanor of the Avalanche entirely. Most importantly on the defense. The, The defense just looks more seamless, more comfortable, it's just, it looks like a different team. They It looks like they make less mistakes. It just looks like everyone is comfortable in their own skin. And yes, you can be like, oh, well, it's the Sharks and blah, blah. And while that's true to an extent, the Sharks are still an NHL team. And the Avalanche just completely demolished them in this game. And they did not look, if this was the team that played against the Blues and the Golden Knights last week, They might have still won the game, but it wouldn't have been as dominant as it was. I mean, Miko Rantanen comes back, and he is involved in every single goal of this game. He gets the assist on the Landeskog goal, the primary assist on the Makar goal, and he gets the final goal into the empty net to make it 3 to nothing. He's involved in every single facet of this game. And just even when he wasn't scoring points and goals in this game, you could just see how much it mattered to have him out there. He had the most ice time of any forward in this game, only more than Gabe Landeskog. Rantanen played 18 minutes in this game. Like I said, most of any forward in this game. And just the power play looked better. I mean, they scored two power play goals right off the bat in the first period. That was no... No fluke. I mean, the power play did not look good when Rantanen wasn't there. Having Burakovsky there instead of Rantanen just does not work. But it's it's hard to dance around the real storylines with this game. We I might as well talk about it now. 
the Avalanche do not come out of this game unscathed. They lose Sam Girard, they lose Ryan Graves in this game, and they are both out for an extended period of time. I believe Girard is week to week. I don't remember off of the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that Girard is week to week, but it's pretty sure he should be back before the playoffs. Okay, he'll be out two weeks with a lower body injury. That was pretty obvious based on what we saw, and Ryan Graves is day to day. So Graves will be, not Graves, Gerard will be back before the playoffs. We don't have to worry about him missing game one of the playoffs whenever that would be. I assume that would be the maybe the 19th. Right now, it's as I'm recording this, it's the second. So he'd be, he'd be back before then. I don't think he'll be back this regular season, but he'll be back before game one of the playoffs. And Graves day-to-day, no reason to rush him maybe until the, the Vegas game. But if he's day-to-day, playing him in eight days really shouldn't be that big of a concern. But what happened in this game, Ryan Graves goes down in the first period. Evander Kane elbows him square in the face, following through on a shot. Now, normally I would never give Evander Kane the benefit of the doubt because he just doesn't deserve it. I would never give him the benefit of the doubt on an injury play. But in this one, he's taking a shot, and the elbow is a follow-through. And there's no, there really was no way that Kane could have known that that would happen. It just seemed very unfortunate, and they can't call a penalty on a follow-through. And it seemed like Graves, with the day-to-day diagnosis, is going to ultimately be okay. I think it could have been a lot worse, but the real loss here is Sam Gerrard. This, this one is going to be bad. This one's going to be a loss for the rest of the regular season. This one is definitely not an okay play. Kevin LeBanc is fighting with Gerard for a puck behind the net, and LeBanc hits Gerard in the glove, which is a penalty, and the follow-through goes and hits Gerard in his leg, and Gerard loses his edge and lands awkwardly into the boards behind the net, and he immediately goes to the room. It looks bad. We're all waiting with bated breath into what the diagnosis is. Turns out to be two days, but this was a this was a dangerous play. And you know who didn't like that play? Nathan McKinnon. He goes right for LeBanc, and he drops the gloves with him. Now, this sparked a lot of debate, because you don't want Nathan McKinnon fighting. Especially, you don't want Nathan McKinnon fighting in what's essentially a pointless game against the San Jose Sharks that you are going to win. But he fights Kevin LeBanc, and I mean, I saw it, and my first reaction was, oh shit, don't do that, I don't want you breaking your hand, but then I was like, oh wait, it's McKinnon, this isn't like Mitch Marner. I was thinking, like, McKinnon doesn't need a babysitter. Like, if he's not going to hurt himself fighting. He's an animal. And he ragdolled Kevin LeBanc. They, like, exchanged one or two punches, McKinnon with more punches. And then McKinnon just decided the fight was over and literally just ragdolled LeBanc to the ice with, like, one hand. Because he's, he's an animal. Nathan McKinnon is an animal. I don't worry about him fighting the same way I would worry about other star players fighting. Like, if that's Miko Rantanen... I'd probably be like, do not ever do that again. And with McKinnon, let me be clear, do not ever do that again. Do not fight. But I'm not, like, worried about him, like, getting hurt in a fight just because he's so strong. Like, don't fight Ryan Reeves or Tom Wilson, but Kevin LeBanc, okay, fine. Send that message there, but I'm more upset about him being off the ice for five minutes more than I am concerned about him getting hurt. Because in this game, McKinnon had his point streak snapped, the league-long point streak snapped. He also had his 263 consecutive games with a shot on goal streak end as well. That if he wasn't in the box for seven minutes, because I totally forgot about this, but somehow the avalanche came out of that whole play with... A penalty. Even though Gerard was the player injured on this play, 
somehow the Sharks end up with a power plant, which they score on, score on. It got taken back, which had me mad at, at for a second, but the puck was clearly offside. They challenge it, and it goes back immediately. So that shut down any chance of a comeback from there. But it's just, these injuries are just so irritating. We're finally healthy-ish. We don't have everybody back yet. Sod's not back yet. Byram's not back. Calvert's not back. O'Connor's not back. We're not getting Franco's or Johnson back. We're not getting Franco's back at all. Johnson might be back if we go on a run. But, like, we're relatively healthy again. We get two big guns back, and within a period, Graves is gone. And by the third period, Sam Gerrard's now gone for two weeks. Like, it's just someone comes in, someone goes down. It has been this way for years, and I can't begin to understand how this still happens on a night-by-night basis. It is absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's nobody's fault but, like, like the Sam Gerrard play, like, that's a freak play. But of course it happens now, right? Of course it happens now. You never want anybody to get injured. But, like, when it's, it's just back to back to back to back to back. Like, okay, we just got to survive this stretch without these players. Okay, we did it. Now we got to survive this stretch without these players. And, yes... Losing Sam Gerrard is not the same as losing Grubauer and Rantanen, but Sam Gerrard is a very important player on this team. Yes, he's had his struggles in the last few weeks or so, and he hasn't been the Norris candidate that he was when McCarr was out. I think it's pretty safe to say he's not in that conversation anymore. But he's still a very important part of this defense. That should go without saying. And just to lose him again is beyond frustrating. Beyond frustrating. And especially Ryan Graves, too. I mean, he's he scored the goal in the Vegas game. He looked like he's been playing much better as of late. I mean, you remember early in the season, Graves was struggling badly. And it was might have been a question as to whether or not he was going to stay in the lineup. He's been much better as of late. But again, you look at this the injury list for this team, you can count it off now. Brandon Saad, Ryan Graves, Sam Gerrard, Jacob McDonald, Matt Calvert, Logan O'Connor, Eric Johnson, Bowen Byram, Pavel Francouz. I mean, come on. Uh, like, do other teams have to deal with this? Like, I like I know for very least, like, the Caps have had to deal with Ovechkin for the last little while for the first time in years, and Carlson's missed the last two games. But, like, you look at them, that's it. I mean, it's just Ovechkin and Carlson. Like, they don't have half of their defense missing as well. And they're, and Ovechkin and Carlson are going to be back as well. Let's, like, let's look at Vegas. Are they dealing with some crazy shit right now, too? Who are they missing right now? I think, like, they missed, they were missing a few guys in their game against the Avalanche. Okay, they're missing Nick, Nick Waugh and Thomas Nosek and Ryan Reeves. So they're not missing anything of value there. Like, Minnesota, are they dealing with any of this crap right now where this, like, randomly people are going down left and right? I don't think they are, but we can check just to test this theory. Who are they missing? They're missing Marcus Johansson, who is day-to-day, and that's it. That's it for Minnesota. So, like, this, I don't understand what it is about Colorado. Maybe it's just in the air. Maybe it's just the mountain air that makes people susceptible to being injured. But I just don't understand why this keeps happening over and over again. So, like, just, I beg this team that this is the last set of injuries we have to deal with until the end of the season. I would say into the playoffs as well, but that's just not realistic. It's just not realistic. You don't go through the playoffs unscathed. No one has ever done it. No Stanley Cup winner, even a team in the Stanley Cup final, or even the conference final, even the second round, gets there unscathed. It's just impossible to get through the playoffs without injuries. Look at the two teams who made the Stanley Cup final last year, Tampa and Dallas. The fact that Dallas made the Stanley Cup final is absurd. They were missing everybody. I can't even name them all off the top of my roster or the the top of my head. But Tyler Sagan still isn't back from that playoff run. 
he played the entire time and he doesn't fit into the the category I was just naming, but he was so unbelievably hurt that he's still out now. And Ben Bishop is still out. And they they were missing so many other guys. Tampa Bay was missing Stamkos for all but one period in the final. They missed him the rest of the way. Like, you don't go through the playoffs unscathed. Colorado alone, if you just look at their run last year, eventually they're missing both of their goalies. Just So I'd say that hopefully this is the last we have to deal with this until the season's done, but that's just not realistic. So I hope this is the last we have to deal with until the end of the regular season. Because can we, can we at least just go into the playoffs healthy? Is that so much to ask? Can we get Saad and Graves and Gerard and McDonald and Byram and O'Connor and Calvert? Like, can we just get some of these guys back and go into the playoffs with a relatively healthy lineup, please? Like, I, that's not so much to ask, is it? Can we get this monkey off of Nazem Kadri's back that has now turned into a gorilla where he just cannot score points anymore? Can we get that off of him too before we get to the playoffs? Because he's a, it's almost like he's essentially injured right now. Just no other team has to deal with this crap, and it's just, it gets annoying because it overshadows what was a very solid win for the team and now something that we have to watch until the end of the season, and hopefully nothing else gets added to the list in the meantime. Like it just at a certain point, like you you just massage your temples and just be, you just don't even get surprised by it anymore. I see these tweets pop up like, okay, Gerard's out two weeks, Graves is day to day, and I'm like, oh, oh, okay, it's just Saturday, I guess, another day that ends in Y, another Avalanche player goes on the injured list. But even then, in the meantime, Graves and Gerard going on the injured list, gives room to Connor Timmons. And Connor Timmons just had the best two games of his entire life, especially in the second game. Connor Timmons finally was the Connor Timmons we have been waiting for. Now, Connor Timmons, if you know him well, he's had a rough go of it in the last few years. He missed an entire season due to concussions. He played two games with the Avalanche last season, 40 games in the AHL. And he's had to deal with injuries of his own so far this season. And when he has been playing, sometimes he just hasn't been great. And we've been waiting for the the Connor Timmons that was so hyped up in the last few years. Then there was there was a point before Kale McCarr became such a prominent name that Timmons was rated above him. Obviously, that's not a thing anymore, but this was the Connor Timmons that we have been waiting for for so long in this game. I mean, the second game especially, the, the play that's going to stick out the most was the, the play he made to Nathan McKinnon to tie the game up at one. It was, this was just the second point of his career. I have, I have really never seen it. I mean, I have, but like, this is one of the best, like, front-of-the-net passes I've ever seen. Threading the needle on the ice perfectly. Doesn't touch anything but McKinnon's stick to tie the game. A beautiful, confident play from a guy that really needed some confidence. And if Connor Timmons can transform into another solid defenseman, like he doesn't even need to be that good. The Avalanche's defense just gets more ridiculous. It's just another name to add to the defense. I mean, goes without introduction at this point. Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard, Devon Taze, Bo Byram, once he develops, gets into that mix. And then you put Connor Timmons, who, by the way, is still just 22 on there, same age as Kale McCarr. It just gets dumb at that point. Like, okay, we have five murderers on defense, and they're all relatively young. Sixth guy, who cares? What do you, you do you even need a good sixth defenseman at that point? Probably not. So I hope Connor Timmons can keep up this confidence because we are going to need him now. Because now we have Devontae's and Kale McCarr on the top pair, one of the best defensive pairings in the league. And then it goes Patrick Nemeth, Connor Timmons. Has the potential to be good, I won't lie. 
but it also has the potential to be kind of a mess. Then you get to Dan Renuff and Kyle Burroughs. I don't even want to dignify that with trying to be optimistic about it because there's no point. So the Avalanche have really four NHL defensemen right now, and Connor Timmons needs to even prove still that he's an NHL defenseman right now, and he did so emphatically in these two games. He looked excellent. This, like I said, the Connor Timmons we have been waiting for, and with the Avalanche's defense as broken up as it is right now, we're going to need every bit of him. So I hope he can keep it up in this next these next few games. He's going to get all the minutes that he can handle. I hope he can handle them. It's not like he's going to be sheltered anymore. We're going to need him. And he was a big part of the Avalanche eventually winning this game as well. He came into the game with one point in his entire career, and he leaves the game with two assists in this one. He more than doubled his career point total in just 20 minutes. And I believe he ended up playing a solid chunk of minutes as well. He ended up playing 18 minutes in this game. And that might have been a little more than he would have been expecting a little bit ago. I mean, Devontae has played 28 minutes in this game. Bakar and Nemeth both played 23 minutes in this game. I expect Timmons is going to get a little bit of a boost in that. I mean, thank God we actually traded for Patrick Nemeth. It was like I said before the deadline, it's just good to get a little bit of everything for insurance, and Nemeth is that. It took him a minute to find his groove with the Avalanche. I, I was a little harsh on him, harsher than I needed to be. I hadn't even considered the fact that Nemeth was injured when he was traded for and was basically acquired when the Avalanche were on their break. So he hadn't played hockey in a little bit, also coming off of an injury, and I, I was really sitting here wondering, oh man, why does Patrick Nemeth not look so good? Well, duh, no shit, why? It's because he hasn't played hockey in like three weeks, and he's now on a brand new team that actually wants to win, unlike Detroit. And this game, he looked much better. There's a reason he played 23 minutes, and he scores a goal in this one, which caught me pretty off guard to see him do, rip a shot from the point, Makar with the assist on that one. That made it 3-1 to one in the third period, which I thought put the game away, but eventually the Sharks would make it a little more of a game. But that that one caught everyone a little bit off guard, and it, it, it always looked good when you have a goal on the board, but Nemeth's performance in this one was a lot more solid than just the goal. I mean, he looked better in this one. He's not all there yet. I'm not saying, okay, Patrick Nemeth now a perfect defenseman and a perfect move. He still looks a little rusty, and his puck movement is not great. I mean, let's not lie to ourselves. It's not, it's not great, and he takes a penalty seemingly every game. He didn't take a penalty in this one, but before this, he was taking at least one penalty a game. Sometimes even two, and it like when you acquire a guy to play on your penalty kill, and the most helpful contribution that he's making to that penalty kill is making sure it has enough practice. That hurts a little bit, but in this game he gets a goal, doesn't take a penalty, and he blocks three shots. That's pretty much what you want out of him, and he looked pretty good. He still has to like. He still has to learn how to move the puck. I mean, you watch him, and it's just like he doesn't seem to know what to do with the puck when he gets it. It's like he's playing hot potato with it sometimes. He doesn't want to control the puck for very long. I, I think we have to obviously rely on him more now that he's going to be playing top four minutes with Connor Timmons and playing 23 minutes a night until either Graves or Gerard or Byram comes back. Hopefully that can shake off the rust a little bit more and that move can ultimately just work out for the team because it's a good thing we got him now. I'd much rather have him in the top four than Dan Renouf. I, I really can't believe we actually have to have Dan Renouf back in the lineup again. I really thought we were done with this guy. Not that I don't like Dan Renouf. I like Dan Renouf, but oh my God. God, I, like, again, with the injuries, like, having to dig back into the Dan Renuff well, even after the deadline when we got a guy, we still have to go back to Kyle 
Burroughs on defense. Like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. It's just so an- frustrating and annoying. And I like, I like these guys, but they're not NHL players. The same way Liam O'Brien's not an NHL player. And thank God Liam O'Brien's not here anymore. And he's not playing anymore. I'm, well, I'm pretty sure he's a scratch and not in the AHL or anything. He is. But, man, just... Mm. I really hope we don't have to see Dan Renuff in the playoffs. He's fine. He's a physical body and he knows what his job is. But come on. I've had enough of this guy. Enough of Kyle Burroughs. I hope we can just get healthy soon enough. I mean, like I was saying... Thank God we got Patrick Nemeth, because I'd much rather have him in the top four than Renouf. But the Avalanche, they get the win in this game against the Sharks regardless. It gets a little bit close towards the end. Ultimately, the Sharks get a shorthanded goal from Logan Couture to make it 3-2. to two, But Miko Rantanen deflects a Devontae shot in front of the net for his 28th goal of the season. Connor Timmons gets the secondary assist on that. And the Sharks make it a one-goal game again. Tomas Hurdle and... It was a little bit of a a clencher game because it looked like the Sharks had some energy to come back and Minnesota had just beaten St. Louis at that point. So if they did blow this game, then it was going to start to get a little close in the standings. But ultimately, it didn't work out that way. The Avalanche, they get the two wins and they still look solid in doing it. They still absolutely dominated this game. I mean, shots on goal alone. 44-25, 44-25, expected goals through the roof for the Avalanche. They also shut down most of the solid opportunities for the Sharks. Also, I didn't even mention at this point, Devin Dubnik beating his former team that had just traded him. And this was no, this was nowhere near his performance against Vegas. Let's make that clear. This He made some important saves in this game. I thought the second goal for the Sharks was goalie interference. I thought Evander Kane kind of unintentionally pushed him out of the way after the breakaway, or at least hooked him enough that he didn't have much of a chance to stop the Couture shot, but it just seemed like a very tough rule. He finishes the game with an 880, which is okay. He could have he, he could have stopped maybe the Barabanov shot, the first goal of the game for the Sharks, or the maybe one of the hurdle ones. But it doesn't matter because it's not like he blew the game or was terrible. I was very impressed by the Sharks goalie, Coronar. I believe that's his name, Joseph Coronar, 23-year-old, played eight games so far this season. I thought he was excellent. There was a a point in the game in the second period. The Sharks are up 1-0, and they're getting stonewalled by this Coronar kid. I'm like, who even is this guy? Who even? He robs Kadri. He robs Taze. And I'm having the thought process of who is this guy are we really going to lose to a rookie goalie having the game of his life that's when McKinnon tied the game and then Burakovsky makes it two to one three minutes later I'm like okay we're gonna be fine but he still had a hell of a game in this one I suspect that the Sharks are gonna give him a few more looks in the upcoming games against the Avalanche as well we might still have to see more of this guy in San Jose ultimately we can beat him but Interesting to see what his future will ultimately hold. But yeah, the Avalanche to get four or four points in the Sharks. That's nothing more, nothing less than I expected. And they should get the final four on the road in San Jose as well. I mean, we've played, what is that, the sixth game against the Sharks? Duh, because we have two left. And we're five and one. And the one game we lost was the that blowout loss, like when the Avalanche were still struggling with consistency issues in the beginning of March. Yeah, the 6-2 to game where it just, they they looked bad. The Avalanche just looked real, real bad. At that point, they were 11-7-1, and and they blew a 2-0 lead to lose the game 6-2. to That was the only loss to the Sharks this season. They come back in that game later, or the, the game after, and beat them 4 to nothing. And now you get to these final two games. They're a much better team than the Sharks. The Sharks don't have a prayer against them when the Avalanche play well. So they should beat these final two games as well with relative ease. And then they have their back-to-back against the Kings. Again, I see no reason that the Avalanche should not be taking full advantage of what should be an easy stretch for them. This is easy. As easy as it really gets in the league right now. 
I mean, who has an easier stretch in the league? Like, we can look at strength of schedule. There's Pittsburgh. Wow. <laughs> two games against Buffalo, two games against Philly. But even then, Philly and Pittsburgh are is tough games, regardless of how bad the Flyers are. The Islanders, one game against the Bruins, and two games against Buffalo, two games against Jersey. That's easy. Edmonton has five games against the Canucks. That's pretty easy. I mean, you look at this. This is mostly just teams out of the playoffs and teams that are just beating up on the bottom. Like, New York and Pittsburgh are going to beat up on Buffalo. That's why they're down there. The rest of the Arizona's on here, but they're done. They're playing the Sharks and Kings for the rest of the season like we are. And the only reason the Avalanche are not on this list, or at least they're, they have the 23rd hardest schedule, it's basically the eighth easiest. The only reason they're not they're not in first is because they're playing Vegas in this as well, which totally skews them at least a little bit. But the rest of the teams like Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, like these are all North Division teams that are about to feast on like the Senators and the Canucks. And you got a random like Columbus and Arizona and Detroit in here. Like team like teams that are not making the playoffs that are already done. Wow, how does Detroit have two games left? I've never noticed that before. How many games? What? Detroit's at 54 games? How did how does that happen? I have Wow, Florida's at 50. Man, we really are almost done with this season, aren't we? I guess that just really hasn't dawned on me as much, but we really are wrapping this up here soon. Detroit, Lane, when are they even playing again? Like, we have two weeks left in the season. How did they have two games in this entire stretch? Really? So they have a back-to-back -back against Columbus on the 7th and the 8th, and they're done. Those are two awful games, by the way. I will not be watching that, but just what a bizarre season this has been. We're going to look back on this season and just be like, what even just happened? What just happened with this league? I can't wait for things to get back to normal next season, like, Again, like I was saying, oh, these seven games or so against the Sharks and Kings are going to be a slog. But when when the season is over and the dust is settled, whether whether the Avalanche are hoisting the Stanley Cup in July or they are leaving in shame after losing in the first round, we're going to be desperate for just these m miserable nothing games against teams that are hopelessly outmatched. So enjoy the games while they last. I have to remind myself of that at times just because hockey every other day starts to get a little bit exhausting, especially when you have to analyze them all in such close detail. But we're going to miss these games when they're gone, regardless of whether hockey is going to be back in October and it's not going to be that long of an offseason. We're still going to miss these games in the offseason. And yes, we're tired of seeing the same teams, but we're going to be watching the highlights of these games in, in the dead of August when nothing's happening and being like, man, I really wish I just paid more attention before the playoffs because now I want to watch hockey again. So just pay attention and enjoy the games while they last. Enjoy the Avalanche just kicking ass for a few games like they should. I assume they're going to kick ass. Just enjoy that the Avalanche are going to kick ass in this final stretch of games because in the playoffs it's not going to be very fun anymore because it's it's going to be brutal there's going to be players getting hurt there's going to be heartbreakers there's going to be great moments but it's going to be a lot of anxiety it's not going to be very fun just enjoy the avalanche kicking ass and being a great team while it's still here we don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs maybe we maybe we play St. Louis in the first round and it's a total fucking nightmare because they get hot at the right time maybe everybody gets hurt you don't know just enjoy the games while they last. I'm mainly talking to myself here because I just I take for granted the final stretch of games sometimes in the season. Just like, oh, just get to the playoffs now. I want to see the playoffs. Just enjoy the games. They're here. You don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. These are just should be relatively stress-free games. Even if we lose some of these games, it's not that big a deal. Like I was saying earlier, Second and first in the division. The only difference is home ice in the first round, or in the second round, and who you're playing in the first round. Just enjoy the games while they're here. There's what? I'm so I'm always so bad at remembering how many games are left. There's seven games left, and we're gonna be done in ten days' time. 
pretty much. By the time you're listening to this, 10 days time, we're going to be wrapped up with this entire season. I mean, this season's felt like an eternity. It's also felt like it just started. So it's been an it's been a experience of a season. It's definitely going to be a very interesting season to look back on, especially for the the first season of this podcast. This is gonna this is gonna be really strange to look back on next season when we hopefully have a more normal schedule again and things are back to the way they remember it. So I mean, like this is never gonna happen again. So like, just enjoy the ride while we're on it. We'll get to the playoffs when we get there. They're going to be stressful. They're probably not even going to be a lot of fun, especially like the further you go in the playoffs, the less fun it is. It just gets more stressful. You're more sleep deprived. Like it just gets to a certain point. Like your beard is down to your chest because no, I refuse to shave because of superstition or something. Like I remember the Caps Stanley Cup run. I was very tired when they won. Just enjoy this final stretch of games while they're here. It's not going to last forever. But I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Tell It As It Is podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I appreciate it as much as ever. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell It As It Is. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time. Have a great rest of your week.